This seventh trumpet judgment is not actually the judgment. It's references to what will be happening at the end when the seventh trumpet judgment is blown. The actual seventh trumpet judgment is when the seven bowls of judgment Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast of Calvary Chapel Echo Park here in Los Angeles, California. We are a small fellowship of diverse believers who want to serve our Lord and do His will. You can find out more about our fellowship at ccechopark.com. Join us for our live stream on Sunday in the New Testament and Wednesday evenings in the Old Testament. Now let's get into the Word of God in our weekly podcast. The teaching is from Pastor David Higa and will be the study of the revelation of Jesus Christ and the book of Revelation. Verse 15, Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. John records, says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. And the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Verse 19, then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hell. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15 says this, then the seventh angel sounded. Now, this would be the seventh angel with the seventh trumpet, okay? Now, I want to note you, it's not actually blown until Revelation 16, where we see the seven bowls of judgment, okay? So why is it referencing here? Again, it's outlining. What's happening is right here, it's outlining when the seventh trumpet blows and the end comes, you're going to see all these different things happening, right? Several different things. And so first he says, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord. What does he mean by that? Well, when Jesus comes again, says of his millennial rule, right, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of God. And we noted this, and we talked about this over and over and over again. We began talking about this when we talked about the scroll. Remember the scroll introduced to us in Revelation chapter 5, the seven seals hold that scroll? Remember how we said, now again, this could be discussed and uh, maybe debated a little bit. We believe that this scroll is the title deed to the earth. Others maybe, maybe right too. Maybe it's, it's, it's the word of God or the law, I don't know. But we believe it's the title deed to the earth. Now, whether it is or not, it really is a moot point. We know that Jesus is going to return, Revelation 20, and he's going to set up his millennial rule. It would just fit, right, if this is the title deed to the earth. After seven seals are loose, seven judgments, right, purging this earth from sin, Jesus is going to return with the saints, which would be the church that was raptured before the tribulation began, and they're going to rule and reign together. Now, we're going to see also in our passage this morning, we're going to see that there's also the resurrection of the tribulation saints. 
and also the resurrection of the Old Testament saints. So all of them, everyone that's resurrected, that it's in Christ, they're going to rule and reign with Christ. So this makes sense, right? He takes us to the end. As he sees this seventh angel sounding the seventh trumpet, it takes us to the end. It takes us to the beginning of the millennial kingdom. That's when the kingdoms of this world be, have become the kingdoms of our Lord. And so you read this. And I remember when I was first reading Revelation 11, right at verse 15, I said, well, this takes us to the end. And all these verses through 19, it takes us to the end, doesn't it? But then we have all this real estate in Revelation before Jesus returns. Okay, so let's keep discussing. Let's keep reading. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So it specifically details that Jesus is going to return and he's going to rule and reign forever and ever. And when he rules and reigns forever and ever, he's going to rule and reign all the nations of this world, all the kingdoms of this world. The kingdoms of this world will have become the kingdoms of our Lord. Okay, so we know that to be true. And so at this seventh trumpet, it takes us to the end, that's what's going to happen. Okay, now notice verse 16. It says, And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God. Now who are these 24 elders? We haven't seen reference to them for a long time in these Revelation passages here. Well, remember, you have to go all the way to Revelation chapter 4. Remember we noted this, the change from Revelation chapter 2 and 3 to chapter 4, what has happened? The rapture of the church. Remember Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, they're the seven letters to the seven churches. We see church and churches mentioned over and over and over again. After Revelation 3, no more church, right? Not mentioned. Why? Because the church is raptured. Remember, we noted this also. The 24 elders, they're symbolic of the church. They represent the church. Now, why do we say the church and not Israel, not maybe what others might ask them, uh, might say, right? Is we say that because of their, their crowns. What kind of crowns were they wearing? Was it a, a diadem, the crown of a king? No, it was a Stephanos. Remember that? It was the crown of a victor. And all that to say is it speaks to this. It speaks that these ones, these 24 elders, the representative of the church, because the church is the what? They've been raptured and they finished their race of faith. If you go to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Remember, it says the writer of Hebrews that he likens this time of faith to a race, a long-distance race, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Right, And so we note that, that it's, representative these 24 hours of the victors that have finished this life this race of faith and now they have this crown Stephanos it's kind of like the Olympics right they wear a gold medal or something that they finished the race well we're going to be having these crowns and you know we noted this as well where do you get these crowns I believe what's well, at the the Bema Seed Judgment of Christ now we're going to see reference to that again in our passage okay Again, taking us to the end. We'll get there at, uh, at verse 18. Okay, so all that to say is that these ones, as they come to Christ, right, they're going to go through the, um, uh, the rapture church, right? They're going to be receiving their crowns. They're represented by these 24 elders. And remember we noted this. We took you to the visions of Ezekiel and Isaiah in heaven. There was no 24 elders with the crowns. What has changed? The rapture of the church, okay? So we, we put all that together for you, all right? And so these 24 elders referred to in verse 16, 
of chapter 11, and the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones, fell on their faces and worshiped God. These are those 24 elders that are representative of the church. Now, what are they saying? Verse 17 says, saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. Okay, so they're praising the Lord because at this time, at the end, at the blowing of the seventh trumpet, right, they're saying that you have taken your great power and reigned. So they're referring to when Jesus comes and he's going to begin to reign. All the nations are going to bow to him. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God. Okay, so again, I want to emphasize this. The reason why this seventh trumpet is introduced to us right here is not the actual blowing. It's giving us an outline of the end. And the end happens at the seventh trumpet. Just like the end happens at the seventh seal. But we do know, right? In the seventh seal are seven trumpets. In the seventh trumpet are seven bowls. But he's taking us to the end and he's describing. He's summarizing or giving us an outline of all the things to look for that are going to happen when the end comes. Jesus is going to rule and reign, right? Now, notice here, it says, verse 18, the nations were angry and your wrath has come. So what is he referring to here? Now I'm going to go to a cross or actually a commentary. This is actually by, by John MacArthur. He says this, the seventh, and he's referring to this, this word, the nations were angry, right? He says, the seventh trumpet vision reveals that no longer afraid, the impenitent nations, not the penitent, but the impenitent nations were defiant and enraged at the prospect of Christ's kingdom being established. So as I mentioned, the kingdom is going to be established. They're right at the end, and these nations are angry. They're impenitent. They're enraged at the prospect of Jesus coming to rule and reign. Now he says here, the verb translated were enraged. I believe he uses the ESV Bible, right? Instead of were angry. Were enraged suggests a deep-seated ongoing hostility. This was not just a momentary emotional fit of temper, but a settled burning resentment against God. Eventually they will assemble and fight against God in the battle of Armageddon. So what he's referring to is the state of these Gentile nations at this point. At the point of the end, just before Christ returns, they're enraged. They're impenitent. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important because we know when this world has gotten past the point of no return, what does that mean? Is no one else is going to repent. That's when Jesus is going to come. And I think this underscores God's mercy, doesn't it? God is going to wait as long as it takes to save that last person that he foreknows is going to repent and give his life to the Lord. You know, the sense is this, and I mention this oftentimes. If you read the Matthew 13 parables, the last parable in Matthew 13 is about the kingdom of God between God, uh, Jesus' first and second coming of Christ. When Jesus comes again, there's a last parable, the parable of the dragnet. And the sense you get, and I think it's all throughout scriptures, is the end will come, not so much dependent on the hour or the day or the month or the year. It's dependent on when that last person in that parable, that last fish is brought into that dragnet. Then the end will come. And so we know to this, this is God's 
sovereign plan. And it is mercy. He's going to wait as long as he knows until that last person comes in. And that's the sense that we get here in verse 18. The nations were angry. They were impenitent. God is going to wait until he knows that nobody else is going to repent. And, and they're right there. This happens at the end. And this is why I think, you know, the whole reference to the two witnesses ministering to the end, boy, these guys are partying when they find out that they finally killed. And the resurrection is going to go up for all to see. If there be anybody with any inkling of repentance, that's going to be when it is. When you see a real-life resurrection, you know, you've heard people say, hey, if I just see a miracle, I'll believe. Well, they're going to see many of them. But you know what the fact of the matter is? That God is going to take them to that point where no one is going to repent. And then the end's going to come. So to me, when it says the nations were angry, and going into how John MacArthur defines this, they're impenitent. They're not going to repent anymore. It's at that point that the Lord, he's going to return. It makes sense, right? God's mercy, his long-suffering until that last person comes in. No more is going to repent, and the end's going to come. Okay? It says, the nations were angry, and your wrath has come. What's wrath mean? Judgment, right? And the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Now, what's he talking about, the time of the dead, that they should be judged? and that you should reward your servants and prophets and the saints. Now, I want to give you just again this outline. All right, So we know, verse 15, the outline, the seventh trumpet judgment takes us to the end. What's going to happen at the end? Well, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord, verse 15. We also know that we're going to rule and reign with him, right? Verse 15, the latter part. We also know that there's going to be praise from the 24 elders in heaven because of what? That finally, right? It says that we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come, because you have taken your great power and reign, that the rule and reign of Christ is going to come. But then we also know that the nations are impenitent. They're going to be angry. Now, it's interesting you can actually see this in other parts of Scripture. Cross-reference, these nations becoming angry. There's a record in the Olivet Discourse specifically. This is Jesus is teaching about the end times. And he warns them in the Olivet Discourse that there's going to be judgment upon the nation. When's that going to happen? It's when Jesus returns. He's going to judge all the pagan nations. You know, before the millennial kingdom starts... And after the return of Christ, there's going to be what they call a 75-day interval. Have you heard about that? Actual 75 days are going to elapse, we believe, between the time when Jesus returns to this earth and the time that the millennial kingdom starts. 75 days interval. What's going to happen? Well, there's going to be a lot that happens. And then one of the things that's going to happen is the judgment on these Gentile nations. That is referred to, I believe, in verse 18. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. It's going to happen within that 75-day interval. And Jesus talked about this, as I mentioned, all of the discourse in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. I'm not going to have us go there, but you want to read that in your own time. And it's the judgment of the Gentile nations. Okay, so before the rule and reign of Christ, as we see referenced 
and outlined in Revelation chapter 11, where the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Right? Before that reign happens, there's going to be a judgment of the Gentile nations. But you know what's also going to be happening is that there's going to be the resurrection of the tribulation saints, referred to in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, and there's going to be the resurrection of the Old Testament saints. If you ever read Daniel chapter 12, it refers to that. Okay, so think about it, right? We have the resurrection of Christ, the first fruit of the resurrection. We have the resurrection of the church, the rapture of the church, to begin the tribulation. But we have what? Still the tribulation saints that have died in the tribulation. And the Old Testament saints, they receive their resurrected bodies after the tribulation and before the millennial kingdom starts. That happens, we believe, within this 75-day interval. So there's a lot happening. Now, the reason I'm drawing this to your attention, the resurrection of the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints, that's the reference I believe is right here. It says, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints. Okay, so what may trouble you is that there's a reference here that they should be judged. Are the Old Testament saints going to be judged? Are the tribulation saints going to be judged? Well, let me ask you this. Are those in the church going to be judged? Be careful how you answer this. Now, they're not going to be judged at the great white throne judgment, Revelation chapter 20. They're going to be judged what? At the Bema Seat, judgment. Okay, so we refer to this as the rapture of the church occurs. Remember that? Between Revelation 3 and 4, we see the church in heaven represented by these 24 elders with what kind of crown? A Stephanos, the crown of a victor. Where do they receive that crown? It was at the Bema Seat Judgment of Christ. We believe, and that's described, and I'm going to give you this scripture so you can read in your own time. The Bema Seat Judgment of Christ, it's referred to in these scriptures, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. Romans chapter 14, verse 10. And 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. You can read these scriptures and you'll know that he's describing when believers go through the fire. And it's a fire, it's a judgment, but it's not a judgment unto condemnation. It's to remove all those things of the flesh so that you can receive your rewards. And that's where these 24 elders, I believe, which represents the church in heaven, they receive their Stephanos, their rewards, the victor's crown, okay? The reason I draw this to your attention is that in verse 18, the latter part says, and the time of the dead that they should be judged He's referring to the good judgment. He's referring to the Bema Seat judgment as described in those scriptures I just gave you. This is going to be the judgment that the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints, I believe, go through after they receive the resurrected bodies, which would be what? After the tribulation and before the millennial kingdom within this 75-day interval. Okay, so as we're... Adding these things together, this, this really does become an outline, doesn't it, of the end. And so the reference to this seventh trumpet judgment is not to describe the actual seventh trumpet being blown. 
That's not going to come to 15 and 16 of Revelation, the bowls of judgment. What it is doing, it's outlining for us when the seven trumpet is blown, which is the end, these things are going to happen. What things again? Well, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That Jesus is going to come, and he's going to have that title deed to the earth, that seven seals are going to be loose, and he's going to rule and reign with what? Not just the church, but he's going to rule and reign in the millennial with the Old Testament saints and also the tribulation saints who will have received their resurrected body between his return and the start of the millennial kingdom in that 75-day interval, okay? And so after they rule and reign, it talks about how the nations were, are angry. These are the ones, right, when the nations will be judged, as I referenced um, in, uh, in Jesus' Olivet Discourse, and this would be in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25. As you read there, let me give you those verses again. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 25 Verses 31 through 46, it describes it. This is Jesus teaching that the Gentile nations are going to be judged. And that's going to be within this 75-day interval between the return and the millennial as, again, right? And so I want to just draw this to your attention. as This is an outline of the end. And it happens at the seventh trumpet judgment, right? Notice it says, and you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy their... This is the judgment of the nations, okay? Now, finally, this last reference is um, something I want to spend a little bit of time. I want to cross-reference a little bit on it, okay, to the latter part of Revelation. Notice in verse 19 at the end, it says, then the temple... So when everything ends, it says, Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great, great hell. Now, let me ask you this. Is there a temple in heaven? Is there a physical temple in heaven? Notice it says, Then the temple of God was opened in heaven. It would seem that there's a temple in heaven. Now, we're literal... Is there a physical temple in heaven? Kind of an interesting question to ponder. It's a question I've asked. And I combed through the commentaries. I didn't see one comment on this. What's the physical temple in heaven? It says it right here. Now, we studied the temple last week. Remember, the two witnesses are ministering at the temple. That was a temple that was rebuilt for the tribulation. Remember, it says to measure it. It's measuring around, but it doesn't give us dimensions. So remember, we kind of talked about, well, do we take this figuratively, or do we take it literal? I take it literal, right? It has dimensions, but it doesn't give it to us. But then we noted this. Remember in Ezekiel, I think it's Ezekiel chapter 40, 41, it gives the dimensions, the exact dimensions of another temple. I say another temple because I do not think the temple in the millennial kingdom is the temple in, in the tribulation. I think they're two different temples. Nevertheless, right, Ezekiel, he's given the dimensions to measure that temple in the millennial kingdom. These are both physical temples. We, we take it literally. So what about here? What's he talking about? And then the temple of God was opened in heaven. Is there a temple in heaven? As I mentioned, I come through the comment, there's, there's no really reference to a temple in heaven that I saw. Now, so think about it. 
If this brings us to the end, what is this temple? Well, let me, let me posit this to you. Let me, let me back up. So, when it says the temple of God was opened in heaven, let's start with heaven. Where is heaven? Good question. If somebody asked, where is heaven? What would you say? It's up there in the sky. <laughs> huh? I mean. Now, we do know, and we would be accurate in saying it's where God dwells. But God dwells everywhere, right? That's where God dwells. And so, let me, let me posit this to you, and you can measure this out, okay? Would the place of heaven be the New Jerusalem? In the latter part of Revelation, talks about the New Jerusalem. What happens to the New Jerusalem? Is it created at the end of Revelation? Or is it a place that exists that comes down and is revealed? Well, as you read the end of Revelation, you have to read Revelation 21 and 22, there's actual dimensions given of heaven or, or New Jerusalem, right? And uh, it's a cube. It's a perfect cube, and it gives the dimensions. And it gives a description of what, what is there. Okay, so the question is, is that New Jerusalem heaven? Now, we do know that it wasn't created in Revelation 21 and 20. It's always been there. But the record is that it descends down, and then it appears. So the inference would be that it always existed. Because heaven is a place where God is, so it's always existed. So my point to you is this, that I believe that the New Jerusalem is heaven. And I have read some commentaries, and you can piece this together in scriptures. So think about this. In our resurrected bodies, will we have access to heaven? Well, I believe so, right? It's a body made for the heavens. So I believe Jesus in his resurrected body has access to heaven. Where is heaven? Is it just he's floating around in the sky? I believe heaven is the New Jerusalem. It just hasn't been descended for us to be seeing it. I believe that. And so when we receive our resurrected bodies, I believe we'll have access to the New Jerusalem. Now, it's interesting, during the millennial kingdom, we're going to be ruling and reigning with Christ. Christ is going to be his in his resurrected body. We too will be in our resurrected body. We know that the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints will receive their, New Test uh, their um, resurrected bodies. And so we'll be ruling and reigning with them. So we're going to be ruling and reigning on this earth. On this earth, there are going to be people that haven't been resurrected yet, right? But then we're going to rule and reign. And so this place is going to operate as it should under God's perfect law, right? And so... Let me ask you this. We in our resurrected body, will we have access to the New Jerusalem? Now, I read some commentaries on this, and, and there's a couple of them that kind of made me think about this. I think we will be. Because it's a body made for the heavens. But our part of our task would be to rule and reign with Christ during the millennium. But we'll have access to heaven, the New Jerusalem. I believe so. So I believe the New Jerusalem is heaven. That's my point. So if the New Jerusalem is heaven, does the New Jerusalem have a temple? Well, I want you to hold your hand here. I want you to turn all the way to Revelation chapter 21, verse 22. This is in the midst of the description of the New Jerusalem. The context is this, is that after the great white throne judgment, this is after the millennial kingdom, after the great white throne judgment, then new heavens and new earth are created and the New Jerusalem comes down. 
And I believe that that's the picture where God dwells. And he gives a description, even the dimensions. It's a physical place, and it's where God dwells. But specifically, Revelation 21, verse 22, says this. But I saw what? No temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Hmm. So what is he saying? I saw no physical temple, like a building, like we will see in the tribulation period and in the millennial kingdom. What he saw was the Lord God himself and the Lamb are its temple. So think about this. In heaven, right? That's where God dwells. We're going to dwell there. And however it's going to take shape and form, God the Father and Jesus the Son are the temple. And so could it be referring to that in chapter 11, verse 19? Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. Could it be just referring to God himself? Because think about it, right? We are to tabernacle with God. On this side, right, of heaven, it's through what? The blood of Jesus. But when our faith turns to sight, we're going to tabernacle with him, what, face to face. Now that's kind of even, it's impossible actually to imagine. But if he dwells in heaven fully, in the New Jerusalem, and we have access there, right, do you really need a temple to meet with God? And so this could be a reference to that. Now, you have to measure this out. I really haven't read any commentary talk about that in verse 19. They kind of just don't talk about the temple in heaven. But I believe taking that into account with Revelation 21 verse 22, it could be a reference to God himself. Okay? Now, why do I bring that to your attention? Because this outline of the end is completed in the sense that, right, we have the millennial kingdom. We have the judgment of the nations. We have the resurrection of the Old Testament saints and the resurrection of the tribulation saints. And then we have the new Jerusalem where God himself dwells. That is your outline of the end. Thanks again for joining us on our podcast of Calvary Chapel, Echo Park. We hope and pray that you have been blessed by the teaching and join us again as we continue to study the word of God. Once again, you can always visit us on our homepage at ccechopart.com for more information and teachings from Pastor David. To God be the glory.